we're in our series, and if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn um, to Genesis chapter 1. Kind of stick your finger in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, that's where all the pages stick together of your, of your Bible. So if you're trying to find it, you're probably going to have to peel some of the pages apart. Um, and then as well, you can turn over and kind of stick a finger in Romans um, right around chapter 6. Because we'll do a little chapter 6, a little chapter 12. So we're in our series called Trending Now. And uh, we started off by, in the first two weeks, we did uh, Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 2. And then we jumped in and we started talking about some trending topics. We talked about how the Bible is truth, so trending now is, is truth. And then we did trending now is nationalism, where Shelby talked to us about, you know, the, the tension of being a citizen of heaven, but also living here on earth. And then last week we did Trending Now Life, and uh, Renee did a, just a great job talking about life and how we, uh, we are uh, life-affirming from the womb to the tomb. And today, we're going to talk about identity, Trending Now Identity. So identity is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Identity isn't subjective or interpretive, it is fact, which also means that it is true, because a fact is something that has been proven to be true. So if, if you remember back a few weeks ago, if you were with us, when I spoke on the truth of Scripture, we established that truth lives outside of us, and it's outside of our opinion about it. And we can definitely have opinions about truth, but that truth is outside of us. See, truth is established by God, and we, can, we, we have options, right? We can either, one, we can agree with the truth, or two, we can disagree with the truth. And those are your options. If you don't like them, I'm sorry, I didn't set those options up. But disagreeing with truth does not change the truth. Okay, so our identity, our identity is God-given, and it's discoverable from the pages of Scripture. And many times, I would almost say most of the time, when we talk about identity in church, we talk from a spiritual perspective. What is our spiritual identity? That we are sons and daughters of God, right? That's, that's our identity spiritually, where we are no longer orphans, but we are his sons and daughters. But it's important to know that the spiritual perspective of our identity is, is not the only aspect of identity that's revealed from Scripture. Our physical identity is also discovered in the pages of Scripture. See, in our culture now, identity is being challenged, is being questioned, and identity is even being redefined. And so there's some things that we're going to talk about today, and it's important that we understand them the way that our culture defines them. So that we can properly look at them, and then we are going to correctly define them or redefine them according to the pages of Scripture. Okay? The first one is sexual orientation or identity. So this is an, an inherent or immutable, enduring, emotional, romantic, or sexual attraction to other people. Inherent means that it's permanent. Immutable means that it's unchanging. Gender identity is one's innermost concept of self as male, female, a blend of both or neither. How individuals perceive themselves and what they call themselves. This can be the same 
or different from their sex assigned at birth. Transgender. So this is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity and or expression is different from cultural expectation based on the sex they were assigned at birth. And it does not imply any specific sexual orientation. So it's important to know that the definitions that I gave you are cultural definitions. They actually come from the Human Rights Coalition from their website. I pulled these definitions uh, off, that, off that website. And these are cultural definitions. Now, everybody do this with me. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. If you're uncomfortable or your guard just went up, I want you to stay with me. Just breathe. It's going to be okay. Because right from the very start, it is important to know that I will not be attacking. I will not be passing judgment on people. We are going to look at what the Bible says about identity in these areas. And we are going to allow the truth of Scripture to settle upon us. We're going to allow the truth of Scripture to define our view of the world, our thoughts, and our opinions. Because Scripture is truth. And we submit to the truth of Scripture, even when, one, we don't understand, or two, we don't agree with it. Because going back to one of the first statements I made, truth lives outside of us. And we can either agree or disagree with it, but we don't change it. So it is my goal today to communicate in love from beginning to end. And my prayer over weeks of study is that the grace of Jesus would empower me to communicate in love as I teach today. So at the root of our, of our culture that is questioning identity is the elevating of subjective experience and feelings over truth. Self-perception is being allowed to overrule biology. Now, family, it is important of utmost importance that we offer grace to anyone that is struggling with their gender or sexual identity. We offer grace. They are wrestling with the consequences of the fall just like the rest of us, even though their wrestling and their struggle, their temptation might not be the same as yours or mine, but they are wrestling with the effects of the fall and temptation just like the rest of us. But the answer to the struggle, the answer, the relief to the wrestling is the same. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So we have to recognize that predisposition is not the same thing as predetermination. So just because a person struggles or is tempted does not mean that they were created that way. See, because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sinned in disobedience to God, we have a predisposition to sin, which sin is literally means missing the mark of the glory of God. It's the glory of God is absolute, utter um, uh, perfection. And when we sin, we miss perfection and we fall short. But just because we have a predisposition to sin does not mean that we were created to be sinners. So if I'm tempted to lie and I act on that temptation, it means that I lied, which is a sin. But it does not make me a liar. See, saying I lied speaks to my choice 
and action, but saying I am a liar speaks to my identity. And we are not identified by our actions and our choices. So if you got your finger in Romans chapter 6, you can look at verses 6 and 7. And if you don't have your Bible, it, it will be on the screens. Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes and he says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Right? This is where we're no longer uh, under the power, the control of temptation. So we are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we submit our lives to him, our sin nature, and that's that part of us that is predisposed to, uh, to, to sin, to temptation. That's that part, to unrighteousness. That part of our lives is dead and it's been crucified with Jesus. So we are no longer slaves to sin. But we have been set free from that and we live free in Jesus. In verse 14 of, of, of chapter 6 in Romans, Paul goes on to say this. He says, sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Now, grace is something that we hear a lot about. And I, and I like John Piper says this about grace. He says, grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned or missed the mark. Grace is the enabling gift of God to not sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. So the grace of God empowers us to live out our identities that God has spoken over us from the pages of Scripture. Grace enables us, it empowers us to live lives of righteousness and holiness as defined by Scripture, not as defined by us. So grace is not simply looking the other way, but grace is that power of God that enables us to live a specific way. Struggling or being tempted to live out of an identity that is not what God has spoken over you is an issue of the flesh or our sinful nature. See, regardless of what the temptation is that you might be struggling with, with the issue isn't being tempted. The issue is, in how you, is how you respond to that temptation. See, you might, be, you might be tempted to be arrogant, but that's not really the issue. The issue is, are you prideful? See, that's the problem. If you're prideful, not if you're tempted to be arrogant. You might be tempted to question your gender identity, but what you do in response to that temptation is what matters. See, if we give in to temptation, there is forgiveness. That's the first and most important thing that we need to understand. There is forgiveness in Jesus. And it's not partial forgiveness. It's not forgiveness in installments. It is complete forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 19, John writes, he says, But if we freely admit our sins when his light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. Every time. So let me be clear. There is nothing that Jesus cannot or does not forgive when we seek his mercy. When we come to him and we ask him to forgive us, he forgives us completely. 
So now if you've got your thumb, don't lose, don't lose the book of Romans because I think we'll, we'll go back there one more time. But if you've got your thumb in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Twenty-six starts and it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over, uh, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Just as a side note, I'm very thankful that we rule over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. <laughs> Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Our identity, my identity, your identity is not determined by what people think or say about you. Our identity is not even what we believe or what we say about ourselves. Our identity is found in who God says that we are from the pages of Scripture. So we, we come into agreement with a false identity. We come into agreement with a lie when we believe anything other than who the Scriptures say that we are. Living out of a false identity leads us away from Jesus and His plans and purposes for our lives. As instead, we partner with the lie that leads us away from him. And it leads us towards the plans and the purposes that the enemy, who is Satan, the enemy of our, of our lives, the one that Jesus calls the thief, who is sent only to steal, kill, and destroy. So when we partner with the lie in our identity, it leads us away from Jesus, and it leads us towards the enemy and his purposes for our lives. Do not be deceived or fooled. The enemy has a plan for your life the same way that Jesus has a plan for your life. So the verses that we read in Genesis chapter 1 reveal the root of our identity, which comes from the very beginning of Scripture. And it's called the, I've been practicing this and I knew it, the Imago Dei, which is Latin, which I don't speak, that's why I butchered it. And what it means is image of God. See, God made, God, God made us. Each one of us. He didn't just make us like he made, you know, cows and, and squirrels and all that stuff. But he made us in his image. And verse 27 says that he created male and female in his image. See, there is an unquestionable connection between be, being created in the image of God and the biological category of male and female. Because he created them, male and female, in his image, he created them. That, that line, that, that, that verse 27 is actually poetry. And it's three stanzas, and the last two are, are, the, are the, they're like, uh, they're in parallel. See, being created in the image of God includes being male or female. Now, this is not, not just a biological or a genetic trait. It is first a spiritual reality that is expressed in our physical reality. See, it, it's... It's not actually possible to change or alter our identities as male or female because it's a mark of God's handiwork. It's his intentional and original design for us. And it is both a physical and a spiritual reality. 
see, you might, you might, a person might be able to succeed in changing their gender identity on the outside, in their physical body, but you cannot, you will not, you will never change the spiritual reality of your gender. The belief and the practice of, of changing genders or being transgender is saying that our feelings and our psychology is truth above biology and spirituality. Meaning that what, what I feel becomes who I am. See, but this, this is living by my experience and not by the truth of Scripture. And when our experience runs counter to the Word of God, it's our experience that must submit, not the other way around. See, when my experience doesn't line up or what I feel doesn't line up with the pages of Scripture, it's my experience and my feelings that are wrong, not Scripture. We must live by Scripture, not experience alone. Now, I'm not devaluing experience, but your experiences and your feelings will lie to you. So when they don't line up with Scripture, you step back and you're like, I recognize that as a lie because it doesn't line up with the pages of Scripture. But when your experience lines up with Scripture, you lean into that because you know that's Jesus. So from the creation account in Genesis, we get a sense of, there's a sense of an incompleteness of humanity apart from a sexually differentiated other, male or, or female, okay? So if you're still in Genesis, go over one page to the right to chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 18 to 23. Keep breathing, just breathe. Starting in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Amen. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. Just an, an incredibly enormous job, if I just might say. But still there was no helper just right for him. So as God's bringing all the animals, every, every, every living thing in front of him. What he's doing is he's showing Adam there's nobody like you. They've all got ones that are the same, that are similar, but there's no one like you. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed, it up with, closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from man. Right? You can't make woman without man, even in the word. See, God said it wasn't good for man to be alone, and then he created the woman. And then when God did this, it led Adam to recognize himself as male, just as he recognized her as female. See, before that, there was no recognizing himself as male because he didn't, there was no sexually differentiated other. It's interesting that up to verse 23, the Hebrew word for man, um, for man is used, which is Adam, which comes from the, word for, the Hebrew word for ground, which is Adamah, right? Because it says in Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That's why he was called Adam, because he came from the ground, Adamah. But after the creation of the woman, which in Hebrew, the word for woman is Isha, 
man is now identified in Hebrew as ish. Because woman was taken out of man. And you can't say isha without saying ish. They are incomplete without their biologically sexual other. So you remember without the other sex, they could not have known or been known themselves as either male or female. Men and women are created similar, yet distinctly different. Both made in the image of God, male and female. Made in the image of God, similar in the image of God, but yet we are distinctly different. Now for some, as they, the struggle with identity and gender identity is very real. And listen, I don't deny that. It is very real. The other reality is, is that we don't determine our struggle. I don't get to pick the things that I struggle with in life. But you know what I do get to choose are my choices. I make my choices. You know, like as children, we used to pass that buck off. And we, we would say, oh, they made me do it. My friends made me do it. That's never, the cho- that's never true. So if you ever, even as an adult, don't ever use that excuse. Because 100% that's not true. No one made you do it. You did it. You chose to do it. It was your choice. See, that's what we have, um, we have power over is our choice. Being transgender is a choice. The struggle with transgenderism is not. See, every follower of Jesus experiences this, this daily crucifying of the flesh and living out of the truth of the power of Jesus' death and resurrection in our lives. Every day, I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me and the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me, Paul wrote in in, in Galatians. Having unchosen and sometimes persistent thoughts that your gender doesn't line up with what you feel is a psychological consequence of the fall. It's temptation. When you feel like your gender doesn't line up with your physical body, it's a consequence of the fall. Giving into temptation while being giving into temptation is sinful, while being tempted is not. Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. Giving into a fallen self-perception of gender is sinful, but the struggle is not. The timeless attack of Satan upon mankind is rooted in our being created in the image of God. We are made like him. See, what can Satan, who was thrown out of heaven by God for for, uh, wanting to be God, what can Satan possibly do to God? Nothing. See, in our minds, we think of this, you know, struggle between good and evil, the struggle between light and dark. You know, that's that's great for movies and comics and, and that type of stuff. That sells, this struggle, and then, you know, eventually good overcomes evil. Listen, there really is no struggle between light and darkness because when you turn a light on, the dark never stays. That's like if you want a picture of what the, the, the struggle between God and Satan is, that's your picture. It's between light and darkness, right? There's never not a time if we turn all the lights off in here and then we suddenly turn all the lights on in here, 
the darkness goes. It hides underneath things. Like under the chair, you see a shadow, but the darkness flees at, the, at, the, at light. Light is God. Darkness is the devil. So because, because Satan can do nothing against God, we are his next best target because we are made in the image of God. And the tactic that he uses goes right back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Right back to the very first temptation. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was craftier than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Did God really say? What he said to Eve was, did God really say? If you ate of the, the tree, and he, he goes on. But here in, 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 um, in, in our conversation about identity is, is, did God really say that you were created male or female? Because, well, that's not how you feel. Getting people to question the very direct words of God, it puts us in the position as judge over God. And it allows us to believe as though we can set our own truth and we can be like God. Right? That's the end of the temptation that, 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 that Satan gave to Adam and Eve. He knows that if you eat of the fruit, that you will be like God. This is, come on. He's, he is very crafty, but he's not very smart. It's the same temptation from Genesis chapter 3. And here we are thousands upon thousands of years later, and he's using the same trick. Did he really say? Because you can be just like God. Gender as male or female is objective, and it describes the body's reproductive classification. Doctors physically observe a baby's visible sex organs as male or female. I just want to point, point out that in the, the definitions that I read at the very beginning, it talks about sex assigned at, at birth, as if like, okay, you, you're assigned this one, and you're assigned, that's not what happens. They see, and they say, this is what you are. It's not assigned, it, it is. It's identified. And this can also be genetically confirmed by a DNA test. So sex has very specific, explicit characteristics, and to say otherwise is unscientific. And it would mean that every single biology textbook ever written must be rewritten. See, what we're doing with people, they wouldn't allow us to do with any, any, in any other thing, because they, they would have to rewrite all the textbooks. Now, it's important to understand this, because this, this would come up, that intersexuality is a biological phenomenon where an individual may have genetic, genital ambiguity or genetic variance. But in human biology, anomalies do not nullify categories, or, nor do they abolish binaries. Gender identity is a topic that scripture never speaks to directly. In that, that you cannot turn to, you know, like Song of Solomon chapter three and verse one and find a verse that specifically, directly talks about gender identity. But this does not mean that the Bible is silent about it either. See, because in God's original created design, biological sex serves as the determiner of sexuality. God designed biological males to be male and to identify and present as male. 
He designed biological females to be female to identify and present as female. If any of those are out of alignment, then it's a sign, it's evidence that there is misalignment with the soul and the body, which is God's created design, right? So the soul, what I'm talking about is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So insisting that our soul, mind, will, and emotions does not need to line up with our physical body, this isn't new. This goes right back to the early church. Paul dealt with this. This is an ancient teaching wrapped up in new, in new paper. It's new language. In the early church, Paul dealt with this, and it's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism believes that we are divine souls trapped inside physical bodies. And with the right knowledge, we can be saved, or we can be set free, and we can be realigned, if you will. So in this belief, in this, this old ancient teaching, the soul is not connected to the body, but the body traps the soul. But we believe that Scripture teaches body, soul, and spirit are connected. Now, I don't have this in my notes, but just as I just, I feel like I just need to share this. How do you know, Pastor Greg? When Jesus was crucified and he was raised again from the dead and he walked around, he interacted with people, he talked to them, he touched them, right? He, uh, he, ate, with, he ate with them. They identified him as Jesus. Nail holes in his hands, hole in his side. He was still male. He was still identified as his physical body before he died and was raised again. See, your body, your soul, and spirit are meant to be in alignment. Your body does not trap your soul and your spirit. They're not the same, but they are meant to be in alignment. See, the separation of our physical body from our soul, it elevates self-understanding as, as what determines our personhood. See, the truth is that at best, self-understanding describes how I feel not who I am, is descriptive of emotions, not descriptive of identity. Romans chapter 12 and verse two. Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There is immense pressure to conform to current culture, immense pressure. And when you don't conform, chances are you're labeled as hateful, judgmental, or you're phobic. You've got some sort of phobia. You're afraid of that group of people, none of which are necessarily true. Now, are there people who are hateful, judgmental, and phobic? Yes. But if you're living a life following Jesus and, and you are becoming more like him and you, you are laid down understanding that, that my life is not my own, but I, I live through Jesus. So he is my king. It's not just a card that I carry in my wallet that I pull out and see, I'm a Christian, I go to church, but you actually live it in reality. Then just because you don't conform, then it does not mean that you are hateful, judgmental, or phobic. We simply believe that the truth is found in Scripture. And Scripture renews our minds. 
It's the scriptural truth that tells us that God determines our identity spiritually and physically. Spiritually as his sons and daughters. We are the, the children of God when we come into that relationship with Jesus. And physically as male and female. It is a great, terrible lie of our time to believe that disagreement equals hate. Which is commonplace. You don't agree? Well, then you must hate me. When in fact, it's a greater form of love when you genuinely love somebody that you do not agree with. It's a higher form of love. Anybody can get along with somebody that has everything in common. You never disagree. Try living with somebody that you disagree with. Man, that's going to test your love. We are transformed and renewed in our minds by the truth found in the pages of Scripture. And we actively ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation to us from the Word. The truth of that revelation, it shapes us and it transforms us. And it, it actually cuts away things that are not of God, that, 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 that don't line up with the pages of Scripture, that don't look like Jesus in our lives. For the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword cutting down to the, to the spirit, right? Like it's, it cuts those things away that don't look like Jesus if we let it. But you have to allow that to transform you. You have to allow, you have to give yourself time to, to get in the, in the pages of scripture and to sit with it. So I'm, gonna, like I'm presenting to you verses today at a, right from the very beginning. Basically everything I've talked to you about is, is from the first three chapters of Genesis. And I want you to go home and I want you to sit with those things. And if you're like, I don't agree with what he said, then sit with those things. And, and you pray, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Because he will. He will cause the pages of scripture to come alive. And that's when Almighty God shows up and he shows you what's in his word. And it changes you and it transforms you. But if you never give yourself time and space to sit with, the, with scriptures that you don't agree with and that rub you wrong and that hurt when you read them, then it's not going to transform you. We have to sit with those things that we don't understand. And then if I just might add, we have to be okay with not understanding. And I know I come back to this all the time. We're not going to understand everything that God says or does. He's God. His ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. If you think that you can grasp God, then I'm going to give you the microphone. I'm going to ask you to come up here and explain eternity to me. Because that's, a, that's not just a concept, that is something that God fully understands. And probably to him, that's pretty basic. And for us, our minds kind of melt and they leak out of our ear. We don't understand forever. We need to be transformed to be more like Jesus in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. We have to. And so we give, we, we give space to people who are struggling. We give space. People who are struggling with temptation, whether it's with identity or whether it's something, with something else. We give space. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. See, the struggle is, is not shameful. The temptation is not sin. And it's not unlike other temptations that need to be submitted to Jesus, allowing the transforming power of his presence and the truth of his word to bring us to complete freedom. 
Our identity is determined by what God has spoken in his word. And Satan will do whatever he can to get us to question that identity and to live from a false identity, which will lead to our destruction when we partner with that lie. You want to, I think, yeah. You want to take a picture of that? I'd, I'd highly recommend that. I would not dare to stand up here and tell you that these were all my own thoughts and I came up with this all by myself. There has been countless hours of research and study and pouring over scripture and these are some of the places where I got, um, you know, help in understanding and understanding. So feel free to continue to look, research, sit on the scriptures that they, that they talk about and refer to. I want to end with this. Jesus asks the question of all questions to Peter. Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And this is the, the, this is the question. He says the same thing to us. Who do you say that I am? Because this, who you say that Jesus is, determines how you live. Because if you say that he's just a crazy person, well, then you're not going to follow him. Right? If you say, if you believe that he's a liar and all the things that he said didn't happen, then you're not going to follow him. But if you believe he is who he says he is, then you, it, it calls for action. And he continues to ask that question, who do you say that I am? I might want to, I, I dare to say that maybe the second most important question is a question that we ask of Jesus, and it's the same question. Jesus, who do you say that I am? How often do we sit with that question? Jesus, who do you say that I am? And allow Jesus, who in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. So how often do we sit with the Word and say, Jesus, who do you say that I am? And it goes directly to what we're talking about, gender identity and sexual identity, but it also goes to your spiritual identity. Because if you want to, if, if you, you can live like an orphan, and then you're not going to have access, you're not going to step into all the things that God has for you because that orphanhood is not your spiritual identity. You're a son or a daughter of God. So we sit with that question today, Jesus, who do you say that I am? I didn't ask, but can I get um, someone from the worship team or a couple of you to come and just play, just play music softly behind me? Sorry for not letting you know in advance. I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. allow Jesus to ask that probing question to you. Who do you say that I am? That answer, the answer to that question changes everything. And if you're not, if, if you're here today and you've never sat with that question and you've never been like, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of the living God. You are God in the flesh. And that you came 
to me because I couldn't get to you. And that you lived a life that I couldn't, a perfect life. And you stood in my place and you took my punishment and you died on the cross. The most incredible act of love that humanity has ever known and ever will know. And you took my punishment. As the wages of sin, of missing the mark of the glorious perfection of God, is death. And Jesus stepped in and said, no, I'll take that. And he was raised three days later. Who do you say that I am? I know for me, I, I believe. And it determines how I've lived my life and will live the rest of my life, all my days. He's my king. He's my God. And if you're here and you've never said yes to him, to receive, it's, it's, it's literally his forgiveness and it's him inside of you because the Bible says that we are the temple, the house of God. And if you've never said yes to him, but you're like, you know, today, today I want to answer that question, who do you say that I am? And I want to say, yes, I believe you, Jesus, and I receive forgiveness, and I receive you into my life, and then all I want you to do is just lift your hand up. I'm not going to make you do anything awkward or uncomfortable. Jesus already did that. He took all the awkward and uncomfortableness. Now the second question that we pose back to Jesus, Jesus, who do you say that I am? So let's stand. And this is what this is what I want us to do. I I, I believe that we've demonstrated kind of throughout the service that we act like a family. And so we can handle uncomfortable things because families do it all the time. And so if you need help walking through that question, Jesus, who do you say that I am? And this might not necessarily be specific to sexual or gender identity, but maybe it's your spiritual identity. You're like, I really don't know who I am. Then I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. And again, I didn't ask my prayer team. I didn't tell them I was going to do this. But if, if we've asked you in the past, um, come forward. We've got your name tags if you don't already have them. Um, come and there's people who just want to pray for you. They want to minister to you. I'm sure they'll declare scripture over you. If you just need help sitting with that question, Jesus, who do you say that I am? Then I'm going to give you the opportunity to come. Or if there's something else that you want prayer for, it doesn't matter what it is. Okay. Maybe you need physical healing or you've got a broken relationship or you need a financial breakthrough. It doesn't matter. We're not going to just limit it to this one thing. So if you would like prayer, 
then I'm going to ask for you to come. And I've got friends here that would love to pray for you and spend some time loving on you. If not, God bless you. We'll see you again next week. I'm so glad that you decided to come today. And um, yeah, have a great Sunday.